Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and Local Now Channel 525. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! This is the Weekend Answer with Garrett Fay and Jim Riggy Righeimer talking about the biggest stories of the week. We're talking about the coronavirus, what's going on internationally, nationally, and locally. Going to bring you up to speed, tell you what you can do to help out. Going to talk about the politics of it as well. Obviously, anything that emanates out of Washington is going to have a strong political component, especially in an election year. Speaking of elections, Joe Biden is the, presu- is the presumptive frontrunner, or is he? We'll get into that, and then we'll talk about the good news coming out of this and what you can do to help your local community. Uh, Riggy, big news this week, though. The biggest news was the announcement this week by the president and his team of possible figures. Here's President Trump laying out the scenario. I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. We're going to go through a very tough two weeks. And then hopefully, as the experts are predicting, as I think a lot of us are predicting after having studied it so hard, you're going to start seeing some real light at the end of the tunnel. But this is going to be a very painful very, very painful two weeks. Yeah, he just drives the media nuts. So a couple, three weeks ago, he's saying, hey, wouldn't it be great if by Easter we were okay? And they, they were, oh, my God, if you, you do that, people are going to get sick and it's going to be horrible and we're not going to be past the pandemic. And he meets with his people and says, how are we doing right now? And they said, well, here's what the numbers are going to be, X, Y, and Z, if we go now. And he goes, yeah, I guess we can't do it at Easter. And they go, yeah, you can't. And then he comes out and says this, drives the media nuts because they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, he, he's doing the right thing. Yeah, he's doing the right thing. What he, what he wants to do and keep everybody's eye on the ball here. At some point, we have to open the economy. This cannot go forever. If you think you're going to open the economy when this is over, it will never be over. This is going to be next fall. It's going to continue. So what you have to do is figure out what's the plan and how do you open up the economy in between. The things that are going in our favor right now is the testing. I mean, they're talking about a a five-minute test now from uh, from Abbott Abbott Labs, Labs, five-minute test. And so basically what will happen is in different industries, they start to open them up. You'll go get tested. And if you're okay, you can go to work. And everybody who's tested goes to work. And obviously there will be some people that will pick it up later and they got to retest them. And But you're going to just start getting the normalcy back together again. And that's what he's working towards. And he's getting the country ready to say, we're about to go through our roughest two weeks. Because I guess they're looking at California's, what, July 15th is going to be the spike here in, in, in California, then it should ebb down from there. So he's doing the right things. He's making it happen, driving the media nuts. Yeah, and we saw a lot of good news this week coming out of this. Number one, the U.S. Navy ship Comfort entered the New York Harbor. We saw the Mercy ship come into Los Angeles. But then, Riggy, as you're talking about uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke said that there could be up to 200,000 Americans 
who die from this coronavirus. And that's a very sobering number. Um, You don't want to minimize that. When you put it in context of other issues we deal with on a national basis every year, heart disease, car accidents, people falling off ladders, you know, all those things, those are obviously going to add up to a lot more. But I think this is scary because there's not much you can do about it. Um, And, you know, there's conflicting advice. Do you wear the mask? Do you not wear the mask? Do you go out in public? Do you not go out in public? Um, And the other part of it is, We can't even trust the news. I mean, we saw this last week that U.S. intelligence came out with a report confirming that China has been lying to us basically about the coronavirus, about the severity of it, the extent, the number of cases, the treatment. And they've been they're lying about since December. And one of the things that the media has been harping on Trump is, well, you didn't do enough soon enough. But the pushback was by the time we actually found out what was going on, it was too late because people have been coming into the country. And Trump, you know, to his credit – He cut off travel from China and tried to take some steps. And here's Mike Pence, the VP, talking this week about what the Trump administration has done relative to this whole thing. President made reference to the fact January 31, um, he suspended all travel from China. Shortly thereafter, uh, we issued strong travel advisories for the sections of Italy implicated and sections of South Korea. And we reached agreements with those countries to screen all passengers from all airports coming into the United States of America. The president's initial efforts were designed at preventing the coronavirus from coming into the United States. And what our experts have told us again and again at the Coronavirus Task Force is that those actions bought us a significant amount of time on this curve. to respond with the kind of mitigation efforts, standing up resources, testing, and supplies that are in effect. But we we went from a prevention strategy the president acted on before the month of January was over to a mitigation strategy, which continues to this day. And one of the, I think, most beloved people is Anthony Fauci. He's the doctor who's leading these press conferences. He was addressing a question from CNN's Jim Acosta about, well, couldn't we have done more? Here's his response. But we were watching uh, South Korea, excuse me, and China and Italy, and we weren't taking action when those countries were spiking. In a perfect world, it would have been nice to know what was going on there. We didn't. But I believe, Jim, that we we acted very, very early in that. Yeah. So the look at this. The, The president stops transportation, people going back and forth to China. On, on the 31st of January, the impeachment vote in the Senate is five days later. If you all recall, we were in the middle of this whole impeachment farce, which was completely ridiculous. That had nothing to do with anything. Nobody who was a talking head wanted to talk about this. And now they want to go back and say, you know, you really should have been on it more. You should have done more, whatever. Did more. While you guys were doing this impeachment garbage, the president said to the people of China, you're not coming to the United States of America. That was unheard of. Who would even now it's easy to understand. At the time it was like, oh my God, he's being a racist, he's doing this. Donald Trump does what he thinks is right, no matter what the what the press thinks. He just plows forward with what he thinks is right. And that's why we're gonna whip this thing. We got we got two more weeks of of the peak. We got, you know, thirty days basically to get through this month. And we're going to get past this thing, and it's driving the left crazy to the point where they're doing anything they can to dirty him up. And, and you watch Pelosi? She's losing her mind. And I'm not just saying that as a partisan. You watch her on TV, on, on friendly channels, MSNBC or CNN to her, and she starts going crazy. She starts talking about, you know, I, I don't need to talk to him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the speaker. I mean, it's like, calm down, lady. Yeah, one of the things that came out this week is uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell from Kentucky. 
he came out and said, look, there's no way in the world that all the impeachment stuff did not contribute to the federal government's response because, as Riggy, as you mentioned, the impeachment vote was happening shortly after this whole thing was Five on the radar. And the White House was fighting for its survival, yet no one thought impeachment would succeed. So the federal government ended up being worse off and worse prepared to fight the pandemic because it was having to deal with a baseless partisan impeachment no one thought would ever come to fruition. What does that say about the Democratic Party? I mean, to me, it shows that it's partisanship before anything else, even over national survival. Right. And, and again, when you know how the vote's going to be or something's going to turn out, move on. Let's get going forward here and get this thing done. But what the Democrats are always doing is dragging the process out, dragging the process out, dragging the process out, hoping that, you know, there's going to be something pop up that nobody knew about. Hopefully there's going to be some time for some accuser to come in and, and, and attack, whether it's a Supreme Court uh, justice or the president of the United States. It's, it's, it's their MO. It's how they always do it. It's called run out the clock the best you can. Now we come back on the weekend answer talking about where are we going from here? Will there be a fourth relief bill? What's going on between Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell on that? And then on the Democrat side of the aisle, is Joe Biden done? There's a movement to draft Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York. We'll talk about that when we come back on the weekend answer. All right, everyone, welcome back. It's Weekend Answer with Garrett Fay and Jim Righeimer. Weekendanswer.com. If you want to harass us with some emails, it's weekendanswer at gmail.com. We'd love to read those. Um, talking about the politics of the coronavirus, obviously, it's inescapable. And this last week, we saw some feuding between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And Ricky, I think uh, Pelosi is, you know, I think she's stewing a little bit because she got rolled with the last relief bill. Now, just to recap, there have been three coronavirus relief bills. The last one was by far the biggest, $2.2 trillion. That one originated in the Senate, worked out between Senate's uh, both sides, Democrat, Republican, and the White House. And then Pelosi came back and tried to scuttle that with a bunch of ridiculous provisions that went nowhere. And now she's trying to talk up a fourth relief bill, I think because she wants to make it about her. She sees this as a chance to work on some big infrastructure projects. Really, it's going to be a big giveaway to unions, kind of like the Shovel Ready Recovery Act from 2008-2009. McConnell's not having it, um, but this kind of shows there is a split here, and there's, you know, I, I don't doubt something will be done. But Trump also, for his end, has said he's open to an infrastructure bill. But this is one of those things where we talked about last week. You don't want to just do something for the sake of doing something if it's going to lead to a massive program that's really going to get us nowhere. Yeah, so right now we have to get through this process and this problem and to go ahead and throw on top of it an infrastructure bill um, it's almost back to the thing of you're doing it because there's a crisis and you can get it through. The issue that's always happened with infrastructure bills is how do you pay for it? And, and what you can't just say is the federal government's just going to you know pour f- freeways all over the place and do dams everywhere and do bridges everywhere and all this kind of stuff. They have to find a way to pay for it, and that's where the problem always comes in: is how do you pay for it? You know, what does it come out of? Um, is there going to be a gas tax added on? I mean, you know, how is it paid for? And what she's trying to do is just jam it through. Now, you know, once we get through this, let's face it: we're going to go into we're going into a recession. Technically, right now, we're we're in it. We're we're dropping like a rock. They talk about these V recessions and U recessions. We're an I recession. We just dropped off a cliff down. 
And then it's a matter of how long does this go before we get the economy started back up again. So it's almost like, think you're, you're on a plane, you're on a jet, you lost your engines, you're dropping, you're dropping fast. How long does it take you to get those engines started up again? And do you get all the engines started up or one engine at a time? And, and what we need to do is get all the engines started back up again. So, so to say, well, let's go ahead and jump right into you know, a highway bill um, that we don't even know how we're going to pay for when we just spent $2.2 trillion. You know, the, the problem that's been happening over the years is we borrow so much money, we think it doesn't matter. It does matter. We are now, our debt will now be at about 100% of the, the GDP. So basically, we do 20 some trillion dollars of GDP a year, and our debt is about that $20 trillion. So we owe as much as our whole GDP is. Now, that's not one for one because all the GDP money isn't government money. It's everybody's money. It's what we do in business. But it gives you kind of a ratio, and we're over that number now. So, again, she's going to do it. And what they do is they'll, they'll put pork in this project beyond anything you can believe. They'll pay for things for people. You know, trust me, as a real estate developer, I see how these big boys play. You know, you got your piece of land, and, and what is, the, what is the, uh, the political favors you get? You get the freeway off-ramp to your real estate paid for by, you know, everybody else right now, and they just call it a shovel-ready project. You know, freeway off-ramps don't happen by mistake. They, they happen because somebody voted on them. Right. So we're going to see some sparring over that. But, you know, short of that, what you're going to continue seeing is these daily press conferences from the president, which are getting huge ratings. And I think people are getting a sense that the administration, whether you like Trump or not, the people around him are handling this. Uh, but also New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, he's also holding daily press briefings. And we talked about this before. He's doing a pretty good job. People get the sense he's a competent guy. Uh, now people, I think, are really sympathetic because his brother, Chris Cuomo, the CNN anchor, actually has coronavirus, and the two of them have talked and done interviews. It's pretty touching stuff. But as we talked about two weeks ago and last week, we are seeing an increase in the draft Cuomo movement, and partially it's because Joe Biden is not doing himself any favors. Every time he does a media interview from the basement of his you know, uh, waterfront mansion, he sounds terrible. Here's a little bit of Biden this last week. How we're going to get through it. And the way to get through it is with the production of the capacity that we need, as well as counting on counting on people to do the right thing. And they're doing the right thing all across the board, except this attack on people who are anyway, I, I shouldn't get going on that. But the point is the production of the capacity we need. That, that's not even a sentence. It's not it's not a thought or a, a, sentence. a sentence. The production of the capacity we need and uh, clean water. I'm, I, it, it, he's not making any sense. He's sitting in his bunker down in his basement. Um, he hasn't gotten out much. I mean, I think maybe they should just go outside, you know, and have a. You know, I guess they don't want to go outside because then they'll see the mansion he lives right. in, and he's not working class. I mean, this is not like a mansion, mansion. This is like a mansion, wealthy, old money mansion um, on the. Uh, what is that area called? It's in Wilmington, Delaware, Wilmington, I think. Yeah, yeah, just so on the water there. and uh, But he's just losing it. So that's why everybody, and I said it here in the beginning once I saw um, Cuomo doing his deal. And even Cuomo, how they do it, they've got it set up even a little differently now. They have him seated differently. They have the flags behind him a certain way. They have the blue behind him. They're setting him up to be you know, president. Now, the way the, the way that the convention is done – you know, it's going to be Biden's deal. Unless Biden says I'm out, then all of a sudden the convention's wide open. That could happen. Um, but as long as Biden keeps on going downhill, something's going to happen. Now, I think Cuomo doesn't do it, but 
because I think Cuomo looks at it and says, why do I want to go in against an incumbent wartime president, which is basically what Trump is right now, when I'd have a free shot four years from now? Because he's a young guy. In, in presidential terms, he's like 61, 62, something like that. So it would be 64, 5, 6, whatever the time he would run again. He'd get a the clean shot at it because everybody would get behind him. He sounds logical. He doesn't sound like he's a total crazy man. Now, if you know all his all his the things that he he believes in, um, in and again, New York's very liberal. In order to be the governor of New York, you're going to have to be pretty liberal. Um, he's way far left, but he comes off as not. So we'll see what happens here. There's going to be a big push for him to do it, just to kind of. Play with it, but in the end, I think he holds off for four more years. Yeah, and it's interesting because you look at what he's dealing with now is essentially an emergency. And as we're talking about off air, in times of emergency, people care a lot less about the stupid things. So no one's talking about straws. No one's talking about hatred of plastic because plastic is saving everyone's lives right now. Right. And so Cuomo's not having to talk about all the things that would make him unpopular. Yet we have Bernie Sanders saying, I'm still going to stay in the race. Democrats announced this week their convention is going to have to be postponed. So you got Biden, who's completely ineloquent. You've got Bernie, who's also you know older. He's up there. He had a heart attack, but he at least has his marbles. And you got Cuomo looking coherent. But as you said, he might not want it. But then couldn't he stick around as the VP nominee? Because well, if he th- does VP and then Biden you know crashes and burns no one's going to blame Cuomo for that the, the only problem with being a vp last i checked we needed a black woman to be vp for biden right or, i mean or, he, he doesn't check the diversity a black, boxes a black lesbian woman right something like that or maybe a trans black les- no how about a Hispan- how about anything other than a white man how about a, how about a woman that became a man anything right and I, Cuomo doesn't fit that right but he does fit the profile of someone who people look at and go he's actually getting some stuff done here this yeah. is what we need in the country. Yeah, and I think Biden would freak out if he was his vice president thinking any second here, they're going to take me out. <laughs> right. All right, we come back on the weekend answer. Time to turn to some more local news. What does it look like in Southern California dealing with coronavirus? L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti holding press conferences, announcing some very strict requirements, talking about gun shows, toilet paper, also the abortion debate alive and well. In the midst of this, we're also trying to have a census. What does that mean? Don't go anywhere. We're coming back on The Weekend Answer. back it's the weekend answer it's the coronavirus update segment locally what's going on here in southern california la orange county san diego you know it's interesting we're talking about in the prior segments you got trump on the national level you have andrew cuomo in new york here at home we have gavin newsom and then more locally in la we've got eric garcetti and riggy it recalls to mind you know sort of the adage of the leader you want versus the leader you deserve and I think L.A. kind of has the leader it deserves in Eric Garcetti. Not too bright of a guy, not really holding his own and owning the moment. And he's come out with some really stupid ideas this last week. Well, I mean, politics in L.A., if, you, if, if you're involved in it at all, you know, first of all, you're more of a geek than I am. Uh, because it's just bizarre. It's a massive city. It goes from, you know, uh, San Pedro out to the valley. Um, it, it's just not a coherent, like, you know... City, it's just a sprawling 
deal out there. So then who gets elected and how you move up is just bizarre. And so we get all these bizarre people in there. And because it's – you don't know what, what – you know, if you're in San Pedro, you're part of L.A., but, you know, you've got all these cities between you. Um, there, there's just no cohesion that comes together. So then what happens is is your politics just gets all screwed up. Who becomes mayor is just like, well, I don't know. How did it ever work out? And then the turnout for vote because it's – Yeah, 10 percent. I think it's an off-year yeah. vote for, for the mayor. People just don't show up and vote. And so you, you kind of get what you get is like you just said, you know, L.A. gets what they deserve. And so Garcetti – you know, listen, I, I give credit to everybody who runs for office. I just do because it is a pain in the butt. And even if I disagree with you, at least you showed up and, and you ran. Right. You're, but, you're in the arena. You're in the Roosevelt arena. You're kind, you're kind of doing something and whatever. But, I mean, some people just just don't have it. And, and maybe it's like you're saying. It's what L.A. deserves because L.A. is such a mess you know, every time they have a budget problem, what do they do in L.A.? They raise a tax. They think that raising taxes has nothing to do with it. They have a gross receipts tax in L.A., basically a percentage of your revenue. Now, to people that don't understand, you know, books and all that, your revenue is just your gross revenue that comes in. It's not your profit on the back end. L.A. charges you a tax on the money you bring in. So if you don't make any money that year, it doesn't matter. You're still paying. You're still going to pay tax. The tax is so big that I think it's Glendale that doesn't have the tax or has it much lower, that there are businesses that literally office out of, uh, and I think it's Glendale, because they don't have the tax. And it's almost like the savings of the tax is what the cost of their rent is. So how can that be that it doesn't matter? It does matter. And at at a certain point, um, it does because there's not money left to do the things that you need to do in the city. Yeah, so this last week, Garcetti announced a couple of things. He said, number one, you should wear homemade masks. He also said the city's going to prosecute non-essential businesses that stay open. Last week, we mentioned how he said he's going to send out cops and stuff to shut off the water and power at non-compliant businesses. And we saw more evidence this week that this uh, law enforcement is basically going to go after those who uh, break the stay-at-home orders. And Riggy, you know, obviously this is a tough thing to balance these restrictive measures with personal freedom. But on the other hand, you can't go out and start prosecuting people for these minor ticky-tack violations and misdemeanors. Meanwhile, the court system is largely closed. And also, you're letting prisoners out of jail and trying to crack down on gun shops, gun, sh- gun sales, and ammo sales. It sends the wrong message to people. It basically says, we care more about prisoners and if you don't toe the line in what is a chaotic environment, we're going to come after you. It doesn't inspire confidence. But, but Garrett, that's what it sounds like to you because you're a thinking uh, human being, a thinking, thinking center right. You look at it differently. There are people that don't add up the whole package, and for them to say, "Oh, it'll shut down gun sales," well, that's a good thing because we don't want any gun sales. Oh, people in prison are getting the disease. Well, let 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 them out, even though maybe. You should let them stay and, and, you know, everybody has the disease and it's over in two weeks. You know, keep all the old people out of it. I'm being a bit facetious there. But the point of it is why would I go ahead and take the people that have the disease and let them free in the city? They got no place to live. They don't know what they're going to do. And then I'm going to go ahead and take my, my resources to go ahead and crack down on businesses that are open. Quite frankly, if a police officer shows up, let's say it's a restaurant or something, say, hey, listen, you can't have anybody sitting in here. The person's freaking out. They're trying to keep their their, their doors open. They're going to listen. They're going to do it. But if you think you're going to go through like office buildings and say there's there's some accountants or CPAs working in a in a in a you know vacant office by themselves, what's the big deal? 
You know, they're they're separated from people. But uh, you know, this is what we've gotten to. It's like one of this command and control. And the problem with the left is they always go to command and control, thinking they can somehow figure it out. And the private sector will always figure out a way to get around it. Yeah, the thing is, there are not enough cops in L.A. to go out and police the kind of violations they're talking about that they want to address. And the other thing too is, look, this is a scary, chaotic time. You've got over five thousand positive cases in California. Over 130 something people have died. This is tragic stuff. And you know what I think is the government needs to be focused on finding a cure for this. I understand dealing with the hospital ships. I think it's a great idea to increase capacity. You know, here at home we've talked about how the uh, Fairview Development Center in Costa Mesa is going to be used for sort of surge capacity and overflow of non-coronavirus people. But when the biggest thing that the mayor is making news for is how he's going to be cracking down on people, I think it sends the wrong message. It doesn't inspire confidence that we're going to figure this thing out. It basically says the government is coming after you even though you're trying to comply. Well, there's a study that, that, that they're doing work, I think it's out of the University of Washington, where they're showing the different peaks based on different modeling, and all modeling is all assumptions of what you put into it, but it seems to be showing it, and it shows that, that uh, California will probably peak around uh, July, I mean, sorry, April 15th, and um, and start dropping off from that point there. They looked at in California how many ICU beds they had they needed, and I think the number was two thousand. And and or no, it's like it's like fifteen hundred, and we have like eighteen hundred. We have more than enough. We have more than enough ventilators in California. Uh, myself personally, I've got a medical building uh, in Huntington Beach next to Huntington Beach Hospital, and we just a- approved putting up a, a you know hundred by hundred tent next to the emergency so that the people can be brought into the tent and be basically triaged so they separate people that have the coronavirus and don't. And, and that's all getting ready. So in some ways, you know, the, the, the president has been able to slow this thing down enough that's given us a chance to go ahead and get everything done. Unlike New York, which I don't know what their number's at, 10, 12. I mean, I, I don't even know. Their, their yeah, it's, it's just it's explosive ha- there. Basically half the country's um, – coronavirus cases are out of New York City, yeah, literally. And, and, you know, some good news came out of Sacramento this week also from Gav- Governor Gavin Newsom. He's trying to surge capacity of 50,000 additional hospital beds. And according to one study, the state's going to need 1,200 ventilators, but the state has on hand over 4,000 ventilators as of this last week. They're going to be having more. And, you know, Riggy, one of the things that we saw uh, last week and we're going to see it going forward is there's really been a huge step up by the private sector to make ventilators, make masks, make gowns. And I think people aren't realizing that when we mobilize to address these challenges, we're going to address this thing head on and we're going to prevail. When you let the private sector kick in, they rip. Whether it was World War II where they went from making Volkswagen – I mean not Volkswagens, excuse me. That would be Germany. Come on. Uh, when they started making Ford cars and in, in turned around and started making tanks out of these same factory lines – the private sector just knows how to do this stuff and can make it done. What the government do, needs to do is get out of the way. And what we're seeing is all sorts of legislation happening, allowing like nurses to go work in a different state without getting a, a license. I mean, come on, we need the nurse. Yeah. You know, I'm not worried about her piece of paper. Let her come in from Phoenix. Yeah. Now we come back. What is going on with the census? Why does that matter? And then the spike in gun sales and background checks and more when we come back on The Weekend Answer.
everyone. Welcome back. This is The Weekend Answer with Garrett Fay and Jim Righeimer. We're glad you're with us wherever you're listening from, L.A., San Diego, Orange County, on the podcast, whether you're driving, whether you're self-quarantining. We hope you're well. We hope you and your family are staying safe in this chaotic time. This last week, we ran through April 1, which was obviously April Fool's Day. One of the biggest scares that went around was there was a fake story going around that the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, was going to be banning all alcohol sales across California to deal with the pandemic. I think that alone might have hurt more people than the coronavirus did this last week. Then they realized, oh, no, that's actually not happening. So people did not have to go out and stock up on alcohol. But, Riggy, as you and I were talking offline, one of the most successful and profitable industries since this whole thing has happened has been the alcohol industry. It went up. I, I can't believe this number, and I don't know how they measure it. It went up um, month over month, whatever, 75%. Crazy. I mean, you know, you have increases of sales of, you know, three and four. You know, Diageo and these big, massive brands, Corona, whatever, all these different companies, Heineken. 75%. I, I don't know how you keep the, 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 the shelf stocked. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those industries that's not going to be transitioning to make Face masks or no. ventilators? Because they're going to be too busy making alcohol. Well, they're making alcohol. Well, no, they have, they have one line making the uh, hand cleaner. That's right. Yeah, that, yeah. They, for politics. That's you know, right, yeah. To look good. That's it. But meanwhile, they got the Bacardi just pumping oh out the gosh, back end. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Now, also, April 1 was Census Day. Now, why do we talk about Census Day? Well, the census, it happens every 10 years. And this is a big deal because depending on how many people actually sign up and register and you know make themselves known, it impacts not only funding, but it impacts representation in the House of Representatives this house seats are apportioned by population. California already stands to lose one house seat because the population has dropped so much. But, Riggy, this is a big deal because if people don't fill out the census form, this is going to have a big impact on representation going forward. Yeah, so the census form is actually um, states you know, work and put out um, uh, news items and everything else to say, do the census, do the census. Because in the end, how the pot of money is divvied up in Washington is based on how many people there are and where those people are located. Now, it doesn't say you have to be here legal to be counted, you know. No, you just have to be in the country. And that was one of the big yeah, dust-ups earlier they, last year. So, yeah, so all these people. And, and so it's real big to, you know, you want all the illegals in your city to to fill out the form so we at least get our, our number count up high and then we get more federal goodies uh, from the federal government because that money's all free, you know. Right. It's just it's just free money. Free money, really free matter. stuff. So they keep on pushing it. It also says how many congressional seats you have. Now, I think I think we – do we lose one this year? We're slated to lose one and then states like Texas that have actually been growing with all the former Californians, they're probably going to pick up a seat or two. Yeah, so they'll, they'll pick up seats. I think Illinois may be losing one. Um, so, so yeah, it matters. Every ten years, it's uh, they they count. This goes back to you know <laughs> Mary and Joseph, right? <laughs> you know, back in the manger. Like, hey, we got to go back and count where your your family's from, and we got to know what the uh, the amount of people that we have. So that's going to happen. It's very political, and it all has to do with how much money you get. But what's your civic duty? Go fill it out. You go to 2020census.gov, 2020census.gov. Doesn't take very long. Riggy, you already did your civic duty, I already right? did it. We actually got something in the mail, and it actually gave us like a code. Right. And we punched the code in, and you know, I had to answer all these questions, and they, you know, they, even I could do it. How many genders options did it give you? Um, they give you two, and, and you don't want to say. Well, because the thing that I've been wondering with the coronavirus is they've been reporting the deaths in terms of men and women, but what are the non-binary deaths from coronavirus? Do you I, know that number? I think there's going to be litigation. 
<laughs> I think this is litigation. They're going to say, well, no, actually, um, the, uh, the Black Caucus has already complained that they're not talking about the race. And so that they're saying that the amount of people that are being tested, um, this is our, our lovely lady, Maxine, Waters, Maxine Waters, Maxine Waters Angeles, is out yeah. complaining, saying that they're not doing enough testing in the black community. So therefore, you know, it's all racist again. I, I mean, I didn't know healthcare workers were racist, but I guess they are. I didn't either. Now, one of the other things that's happened is there's been a spike in background checks for gun sales. Now, this is an issue that's been sort of a moving target, pun intended, last couple of weeks because – First, L.A. County came out and the sheriff's department said, we are going to shut down gun stores and ammo stores because they are not essential. There was a ton of pushback. They relented. But then they said, well, in the unincorporated areas of Los Angeles, we're going to try and shut down you know, the gun and ammo stores. Now, Riggy, this is a big deal because, as you've observed, that's where a lot of the gun and ammo stores are in the unincorporated areas. But this is going to be a big thing going forward because there is a Second Amendment right involved. So exercise of fundamental right, that should equate to an essential business, but right. this is going to be an ongoing thing. Yeah, so th- th- what, what the left has learned is that it may be an essential right, but we can really slow down the process. And so they do that with paperwork and background checks. Um, if you've ever gone out to buy a gun or now buy ammunition, you have to do a background check. And so you do the background check and, and you come out fine. And then you have to wait 15 days because you know they don't want you to be in a in a furious mood because you want to go back and you know kill your wife or your boss or somebody. So they want you to have a cooling down period uh, to buy a gun. Of course, then you can't buy another gun that month. You have to wait to the next month. Now you get the coronavirus, and it's like, oh man, this for anti-gun people, this is great. We can just say it's not an essential business. Yeah, except for when they start releasing the prisoners from jail. Because right. of coronavirus, we've seen that in L.A., even in Orange County, they released over 1,000 prisoners. I think that the issue here was if you have six months or less, the push is to get those people released. Right. So while you're releasing prisoners, you're making society more dangerous. The police are obviously uh, dealing with coronavirus too. You've got to be able to protect yourself. No, these, these, these prisoners, these are people that have just done like, you know, uh, parking violations and um, didn't fill out their tax form correctly. Minor marijuana possession? My, well, they, they actually didn't touch the marijuana. They saw it. I mean, the people <laughs> they're letting out are just really— they're, they're harmless. Well, you know, they're on their way to church. Right. <laughs> okay? They're on their way to church, and, and I don't know. They sped like 65 in a 60 zone, and, you know, that's the ones they're letting out. Well, we all know that's BS. The reality Complete of it is, BS. is this is, again, whenever you have a crisis, do whatever you can— Empty the jails. I mean, it's the craziest thing in the world, especially if you have coronavirus in the jail. Again, this is not a death sentence to 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 people. Um, so you know, if they're in a jail, then you guys guess you're going to be in a jail, and you're going to have coronavirus in your jail, and you're going to kind of separate people the best that you can. And some of you'll get it, and some of you won't get it. But what I'm going to go just dump all those people out in, into the community, and it's not like they've got. Uh, you know, jobs and everything to go back to right now. They're being fed and being taken care of. But again, the left is always going to use a crisis, and this is one of the crises. So what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is, in times of crisis, we do not sacrifice fundamental rights. You know, there's already going to be lawsuits against Governor Newsom's executive orders and the emergency declarations saying that they infringe fundamental rights, freedom of association, freedom to gather, freedom of uh, speech and religion when it comes to churches gathering, Those lawsuits are going to work themselves out. But the thing is, you have to stop and think and ask yourself, okay, we are in an emergency, but does that mean I should sacrifice all of my rights? I think the answer to that isn't always an immediate yes. No, and that's that's 
But the public, again, can get fooled by this stuff. When you're afraid or you're scared, you'll start you know, giving up your rights, not realizing that you need to back off from this thing. But I just want you to know, I just went on to this uh, How Much Toilet Paper Dot com. Yeah, the toilet paper calculator. And, and, and I calculated that we have 10 rolls and we have five people in the family, so it says I have 32 days worth. Do you really believe that? Not a chance in heck. <laughs> Not a chance. And I got, they don't age like how many teenage women do you have in the house? Okay, whatever. <laughs> All right, we come back on the weekend answer. The good news segment How are people helping each other? What can you do in this time of coronavirus craziness? We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. It's the Weekend Answer with Garrett Fay and Jim Righeimer. Time for the good news. We always want to end this show, start your weekend and your week with some good news. Look, this is a tough time for everyone. The coronavirus is wreaking havoc on the economy. We saw this last week. There was over 6 million unemployment claims, just horrific stuff. You know, Jobs are being decimated. Families are running out of money. This is obviously a tough time. Our hearts and our prayers go out to everyone. You want to do what you can. Um, but I want to start you know, with this segment. We don't usually do this, but I wanted to start with some good news from President Trump. He says a lot of crazy things. He says some good things. He had some good words this last week about how America will prevail. Even in the most challenging of times, Americans do not despair. We do not give in to fear. We pull together. We persevere. And we overcome. And we win. This week, every American heart is joined with the people of New York as they continue to bear the brunt of the pandemic. To every New Yorker, please know that we are by your side. I love New York. And every day we will be with you. So that was some good words from Trump. And, Riggy, we saw a lot of examples of that kind of spirit across the country this week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, New York City is getting whacked. In fact, uh, Queens and uh, uh, my, my wife was a flight attendant with Delta, and she was based out, you know, they had her apartment out of Queens, and so I'd go to Queens a lot. And and one of the reasons they do have it is uh, it's an area called Kew Gardens in Queens, and that's where all the uh, the crews for all the airlines are at. There's like 5,000 uh, employees of the different airlines that live in there. And so Queens got hit pretty hard, but he's right. The president is saying, we're going to prevail. We're going to get through this process. And what you start to see is all these good things that people are doing out there to make sure that it's happening. The one that I love is is this, a New York restaurant owner that is, um, in order to help keep restaurants afloat, he's asking people to to contact the restaurant and order food that he will then take to area hospitals. So in a way, it's kind of like a GoFundMe. I want to help some cause, but it's more direct. It's like we actually contact this this restaurant, they order up food, and they bring it for lunch and dinner and everything else for all the healthcare workers. And can you imagine that working hard every single day? You're in that hospital, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of food and pasta and and meatballs and everything else brought in there. That makes you feel good. Yeah, so like we're talking out there care about you. Yeah, this guy's name is Luca Di Pietro. That sounds Italian. He owned five restaurants around New York City, but in the last week, he had to downgrade to operating just one, and the poor guy had to lay off 90 employees. I mean, that is a staggering number of people who are now out of work. 90 people paying rent, food, feeding their families, gas, everything. That's their livelihood. 
uh, you know, to get through, you know, probably a two two family household, you know, working to pay, pay that, and he had to let him go. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of cause for despair, but this guy didn't throw in the towel. Instead, he started a nonprofit called Feed the Front Lines. This is at feedthefrontlinesnyc.org, feedthefrontlinesnyc.org. And the whole goal, as Riggy mentioned, is to have people order meals, not for themselves, but from the restaurant to be delivered. And you, you, you hit the nail on the head, Riggy. I mean, imagine being working on the front lines of this thing. You're hoping you don't get sick. You've got to wear the protective personal equipment. You're you know, eating out of the vending machine a lot of the time. Well, you're you're work, exhausted. You're working a 12-hour – nurses work 12-hour shifts. I mean, that, that is work you know, that they have to do. And they're not just working three shifts a week. They're adding shifts on. So these people are right there, and they're in the face of this epidemic every single day. Yeah, so what's great about this is a couple things. Private sector, private initiative, stepping up to meet a huge need. And we see this with other, country, other companies, rather. They've been repurposing. We saw this last week, the MyPillow guy. He's transforming his whole plant in Minnesota to make um, shields instead of uh, pillows. Not a big need for pillows right now. But this is a great thing because people need to eat. And the, you know, the frontline warriors are the healthcare professionals. We can't have those people falling down on the job. No, absolutely not. And I think they're doing it here. I think we'll see that here on, on the West Coast as kind of as the disease goes to the, to the West. That'll happen in there. But, you know, Trump was right. We are going to get through this process. We're going to be you know, on the radio today. We'll be on the radio next Sunday. The following Sunday, that, that will be at our peak. And we're just going to plow through and get this thing done, do it like we always do here in America. And, you know, I couldn't be prouder of how the, the American public is showing up and, and showing the rest of the world how this is done. Yeah, so if you want to help out, go to feedthefrontlinesnyc.org, feedthefrontlinesnyc.org. $25 covers one meal, $250 covers 10 meals, $1,000 gets gets you 40 meals, and $9,000 under their super sponsor, 500 Meals for NYC healthcare workers. Riggy, great, great organization. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for us this week on the Weekend Answer. Keep it here all week. We're going to keep you informed what's going on, what you need to know, how can you can comply, and also what you can do to flatten the curve, take care of your family, your neighbors, your community. We'll see you next week. You take care of yourself.